0: Hello, Sunrise Church. This is Pastor James, and I just want to let you hear it from my lips. I love my church. That means I love you, and I certainly don't know all of you personally, but that doesn't mean I don't love you as your pastor. I see God doing such a great thing in and through each of our campuses of Sunrise, and I'm so excited this weekend to begin a new series called The Heart of Mercy. It's a seven-week series that's going to communicate actually the DNA of Sunrise Church. Now, you could be newer at Sunrise, maybe the last year or so, or you could have been here for 20 years or longer than me. But I guarantee this, this Heart of Mercy series will both challenge you and inspire you to be more like Jesus. I can't wait to see how God is going to use this message series in the coming weeks. Now, today's a special kickoff message that's being played across all of our campuses in both English and Spanish. And today, I want to give an overview of what it means to have a heart of mercy. But in the coming weeks, the following weeks of the rest of the series, your campus pastor is going to be preaching the messages. And then we're going to wrap up with celebration services across all of our campuses across Washington County, really telling the story of what God has done through this series. Now, today, as we begin, I want to tell you something about myself, something that I did my freshman year at college. If you've ever been to college, you know that your freshman year is filled with a lot of adventures. Everything's new, it's exciting. That is until you get to the last few weeks of the year. It's called the spring slump because everyone is trying to finish all their assignments and prepare for finals. Really, they just want to get out of there. This is the time of the year you want to wrap up your first year of college and head home. Well, that was certainly true of my freshman year of college. Now, here, let me paint the picture. It was the week before finals, and the Salem air was warm and dry. I was completely burnt out on writing papers, and I'd already spent a few nights pulling all nighters, getting my work done. And needless to say, I was just bored and I was exhausted. But it was then one night I had an idea. I closed down all of my homework, I put my books away, I headed up to the third floor of the men's dorm and knocked on Phil James's door. Now, Phil was a friend of mine uh, from my hometown in Petaluma, California. Now, he was four years older than me. He was a college senior. I was a college freshman, and we had been friends all through high school because I first started attending the youth group there my freshman year of high school, and uh, you know we, we just had a wonderful relationship, a great friendship, but you've got to understand this about Phil. He was one of those really cool guys who hadn't quite grown up yet. You know what I'm talking about, right? He had an adult body, but inside he was still a junior higher. Yeah, ladies, some of you are married to guys like that, right? (laughs) Now, Phil was such a cool guy. He was a prankster. But that's exactly why I headed up to his room that night. When I knocked on the door, Phil said, come on in. And I found he was ready for bed. Uh, But that wouldn't do it for me. And so I asked him a life-changing question. I said, Phil, will you teach me everything you learned in the four years here at school? Teach it to me all in one night. He smiled, he hopped out of bed, ready for our evening adventure. Now the rest of the night was a blur as he taught me how to break into the library, the cafeteria, the administration building, including the president's office, the dean of student's office, how to basically do everything. Showed me the hidden way to get into the girls' dorm, Uh, after hours, this clandestine adventure. We found ourselves everywhere, in the tunnels, underneath the building, all around the campus. It was great, but when we were done, our last place was in the chapel. But that's when everything started to turn against us. In the corner of our eyes, we saw a flashlight lighting up the hallway outside. We were in trouble. It was the night watchman. Now, Phil ran to the front, and I ran to the back. I thought, you know, we got to get out of here. He, he thought we got to get out of here. He took the front. I took the back. I climbed out a window, headed up to the fire escape. I was going to hide on the roof till however long it took. Now, everything was You know, fine. It was quiet for a few minutes, and then I crawled over to the edge of the building. In that moment, I saw Phil run across the bridge to head back to the men's dorm, and I whispered to him to keep going and that I would find my way there. Everything was going to be fine. Well, unfortunately, in that minute, it wasn't fine because Terry, the senior night watchman, turned a corner and saw Phil, and worse, he saw Phil looking up and talking to someone. (laughs) We were both busted. And I climbed down, and after I walked around the building and walked up the hill, I joined him. And as I walked up, all I could hear Terry say was, Gleason? James Gleason? I can't believe it. Man, he said that many times. See, I'd just been hired that spring term as a night watchman. They'd never had a freshman on the night watch crew, and my character and conduct had so won over the campus facility manager that he hired me. Much to the objections of the senior night watchman, Terry. Well, plus, I was a good guy. I mean, everybody saw me that way. I was a clean kid. I was a good student. But all I could hear in that moment was, Gleason? James Gleason? I can't believe it. Terry was so disappointed. He wrote us up and said that we'd have to report to the dean's office the next morning. Well, and that I'd have to report to Jerry Ritz, the campus facility manager, the next morning. Needless to say, I was busted. Well, Phil and I returned to the dorm, and all Phil said was, I hope they let me graduate. I hope they let me walk with the other graduates. Everyone is coming to my graduation. I'm in trouble. Well, I didn't know what to think. But the next morning, I went to the dean's office, ready for the worst. Dr. Rich Rollins was the dean of students, and he was a big man, and many people feared him. Everyone considered him very strict. So I was ushered into his office, and he closed the door. And he looked at me, and he asked me a life-changing question. He said, James, are you stupid? <laughs> I didn't know what to say. All that that I could say was, yes, sir, I guess I am. And then he asked me, are you going to keep being stupid? (laughs) I said, no, sir. And he said, okay, get out of my office and quit being stupid. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. That was it. Except, of course, now I had to go downstairs to Jerry Ritt's office, the manager of the facility. Well, needless to say, he basically did the same thing. He fired me and then laughed at me and said, Gleason, I have to fire you, but if you come back next year, I'll give you your job back and make you head night watchman. I walked out of there speechless. My friends, you see, this was really the first time I had ever been shown this kind of mercy. Of course, I had done foolish things before, but in my life, I had to pay dearly for them. But this, what was this? It was mercy, and to be frank, I wasn't used to receiving it. Next year, I came back to school, and I became the vice president of my student body fellowship under Rich Rollins, and I became head night watchman under Jerry Ritz. Somehow, these two men looked beyond my foolish behavior and saw a young man who had just made a bad decision and decided to show him mercy. Now, friends, I cannot overestimate Enough. I just cannot exaggerate this, but I got to tell you, it changed my life. I mean, I make no mistake in saying this. I was so won over because of their mercy that the entire trajectory of my life changed. I mean, I changed. I slowly began to be a person of mercy. I had been shown such mercy and had been so deeply impacted by it that I had to figure this out and I had to learn to show it to others. Because I hadn't grown up with a lot of mercy. I grew up with a lot of judgment. And it just really messed me up to receive mercy, messed me up in such a great way that as to be completely frank, as we look at Sunrise Church, we have this characteristic of reaching out to people and showing mercy to the hurting and the broken for the least, the last and the lost, really not just because I've received it, because our God has shown it to us. He is a God of mercy. And you and I have received that mercy and our lives now are called to show mercy to a very unmerciful world. Now when you think about mercy, it's often not one of the attributes or characteristics of God we think about. But the truth is, when you look in the Bible, it's the number one characteristic of God mentioned in the Bible, more than his sovereignty, which means he's in charge more than his omniscience. He knows everything His omnipotence. He's all powerful His omnipresence. I mean, he's everywhere. Any other fancy word you can think about more than his anger or justice or judgment more than any other quality in the Bible. The number one attribute that is used to describe God is his mercy. Now, you know, the world portrays God as a God of judgment, but God shows himself first and foremost in scripture as a God of mercy. Now, all the way back when God revealed his glory to Moses, when he gave the Ten Commandments, when he called the people of Israel out of Egypt, God said this in Exodus 34, 6. This is my name, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Notice the number one characteristics characteristic of God is mercy. He didn't say, I'm the Lord, just and righteous. He didn't say, I'm the Lord, eternal and powerful. He said, I am the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. You see those words again and again show up in the Bible. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. That's God. Now listen, if that's God's number one characteristic that he reveals to us in the Bible Now, if that's the important thing he wants us to know about him, then it'd be wise for us to learn about mercy, right? And that is exactly what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks together as Sunrise Church. Now, there are some attributes of God we cannot emulate. Uh, You and I can't be all powerful. Uh, We'd like to. Sometimes we actually think we are, but we're not. We can't be all knowing uh, because, you know, we just can't unless you're 16. Then you know everything. Uh, You can't be every place at all time. You know, wouldn't that make life easier? Uh, th- there are attributes, though, of God that he invites us to practice to be like him. And when we do so, we're a little bit more like Jesus in our daily life. My friends, mercy is one of those attributes. Now, what is mercy? You might want to write this down in your weekend notes that you were handed when you came in, because it's going to set up the next six messages in our whole journey together. This is mercy. Mercy is love in action. Mercy is love in action. Mercy is far more than an attitude. Mercy is far more than forgiveness. Mercy is a lifestyle. Webster's Dictionary defines mercy this way. Mercy is refraining from harm or punishment, unexpected kindness. Those are the two sides of mercy. There's the forgiving side, withholding what we would deserve, and then there's the compassionate side of giving what we don't deserve. The forgiving side is refraining from punishment, compassionate side is going the extra mile, extending to someone unexpected kindness. Now get this, it's really important. Mercy isn't just a feeling. It involves feelings, that's for sure, of course, but it's much, much, much more than that. It's much more than just feeling sorry for someone. It's actually doing something about it. It's love in action. It's not an attitude alone. It's also an action. It's very important to feel it, but then to do it. And it's my hope and prayer that during this series on the Heart of Mercy, you're going to join one of our small groups. And you're not only going to study the messages and the point, but more importantly, most importantly, you're going to put it into practice. You are going to learn to do it. You're not just going to be a hearer of God's word. Uh, the brother of Jesus, James, says, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. And that's what we want to do at Sunrise Church. We don't want you just to come and hear a message, a service, and sing songs. We want you to go home and actually do the word of God. In fact, these are the words that James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. James 1.22. Now, my friends, As one of your pastors, as your lead pastor, you know, this is for all of us. We don't want you just to come to the weekend messages to sing songs and hear it. We want you to actually do something about it because you might just end up fooling yourself into thinking you're growing. No, we want you to actually put this life of Jesus into practice, and I find no better way to do that is that a community of followers of Jesus Christ, and we, as the church, we let God's spirit change us by God's word, and then we are going to be the great witness for Jesus here on the planet. Now, when you and I learn about God's mercy and then live God's mercy out in our world, people are going to see Jesus in us and through us. The world's going to be changed. They don't need more church people. They need more of Jesus. Now, in your small group, we'll be discussing the messages that are preached on the weekend at your campus, and then you're going to be finding out a way to actually put it into practice, and I'm very excited about that. You're going to be giving practical steps that you can take to apply these principles about mercy in your life, both on a personal level and in a relationship with others as a group. Now, for example, in Psalm 145, we read these words. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. See, we're going to learn how to do that because that's the way God is. And that's the way God wants you and I to be. If you want to be like Jesus, you got to learn to be merciful, to be slow, compassionate, to withhold your anger. To be like God is to be like Jesus. And we are going to walk through that the next six, seven weeks together. How to live out in practical ways the call of the mercy of Jesus. Well, so what does it look like to show mercy? Well, over these weeks in this series, we're going to look at five marks of mercy that are evident in a man or a woman, a young person who has the heart of mercy. So today it's an overview introduction. We're going to see each of the points and then each of the weeks to follow, we're going to take a look, go in depth into each of those points with the messages. So the question, what are the marks of a merciful person? What are the five marks of a merciful person? Well, first of all, it's this. Merciful people forgive those who have fallen. They forgive those who have fallen. In other words, when somebody makes a mistake, and we all do, when someone lets you down, and it always happens, you let them go. You don't let it get to you. Do you hold it over their heads, or do you let them off the hook? Look at this verse. Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You know, the interesting thing about forgiveness, when you receive it, it feels so right, doesn't it? But when you have to give it to others, it often feels so wrong. I mean, think of it. Where's that such hypocrites. I mean, you know, we want to be forgiven, right? But we don't want to forgive others. There's something wrong in our hearts. We want justice for them. We want to get even. We want them to pay that last part. We want people to own up, Right. But forgiveness is not about justice. Forgiveness is about mercy. Forgiveness is not about fairness. Actually, forgiveness is about grace. And if you want to be a merciful person like Jesus, you have to learn to forgive those who have fallen even on the cross. He said it. Father, forgive them. for They don't know what they're doing. I love how the message version says this in James 2.13. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Every time. I love that. Mercy wins. Mercy wins over harsh judgment every time, my friends. Now, next week at your Sunrise campus, we're going to look at this aspect of the heart of mercy. But for now, consider these words You and I want to give harsh judgment to others, but we want God to give us kind mercy. And Jesus calls that a hypocrite. If God dealt with you exactly the way you deal with others, would you be alive today? Well, that's the first mark of mercy. The second mark of a merciful person is this. Merciful people help those who are hurting. They help those who are hurting. Mercy is more than feeling sorry for someone. Merciful people, they do that, but then they do something about it. The Bible says it like this. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. That's James two fifteen to 17. So friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, our faith is merciful to the core. Mercy takes action when others take off, friends. In other words, faith does nothing, is worth nothing. But faith that acts is worth everything. As followers of Jesus, our faith is merciful to the core because God has been merciful to us. Mercy takes action again when others take off. All around you, people are hurting. Just feeling sorry for them does nothing. But mercy puts faith in action. Doing something about it demonstrates the love of Jesus in you and through you. Proverbs 3.27 says this. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. My friends, mercy is not theoretical or philosophical. Mercy is practical. Mercy isn't something you just talk about, you think about. Mercy is not something you just plan. It's something you actually do. It's getting your hands dirty. It's getting in the trenches and loving people in their moment of need. I love it in the Bible when it says this. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. 1 John 3, 17 to 18. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse hits me right between the eyes, right into the heart. It's a dagger that stabs me deep when it says, don't just say you love people. Show it. Do something real. Do something practical. So the question is, who do you know that needs your mercy this week? Who do you know that needs your help? Who do you know that's hurting, that you could just step into their lives and hold on to them and help them? What about in your small group? I mean, you might want to talk about this in your discussion time. What can your group do together to show the mercy of Jesus to your neighbors, to your coworkers, maybe finding someone who's hurting and just helping them? And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this, of challenging you to get plugged into a group, and then through your group to put this facet of mercy into practice out into our communities. So when you see someone is hurting, you're merciful. And as a merciful person, you do something about it. That's the second mark of mercy. You help those that are hurting. The third mark of a merciful person is this. Merciful people are patient with difficult people. Ouch. That's a tough one. Let me repeat it. Merciful people are patient with difficult people. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one of the hardest to live out. I'm telling you have a hard time being patient with people who are difficult. People who are hard to get along with. People who are maybe peculiar. You know the people I'm talking about, right? Don't point. Or maybe that's me in your life. I don't know. They may be socially awkward. Uh, They may be rude. They may be insensitive. Or, or maybe they're just the kind of person you can't seem to get along with. Maybe because of what they believe, their political side of the spectrum, the way they act. Maybe they're totally self-centered. I don't know. Maybe you just can't even follow them on Facebook anymore and you have to unfriend them. I don't know. But how do you handle these kinds of difficult people? Because they're everywhere, right? Well, what does the Bible say? What is the role of mercy in dealing with the difficult people around you? The Apostle Paul says in First Thessalonians 5.14, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. And here it is. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Oh man, that's tough. Notice you have a different response to different kinds of people, right? I mean, how do you do that? Sometimes you have to encourage the timid. And how do you do that? Well, you take tender care of them when they're weak. you got to be patient with everyone, right? Uh, One way is to learn their background. Uh, I, I believe everybody has a story. In fact, this is a great way to enter into someone's world and to get a deeper understanding of why they are the way they are. They say that hurt people hurt people. But healed people can heal people. One way to dealing with difficult people is just to learn their background. When you understand where a person is coming from, you stop thinking, you know, look out for them in the sense that, you know, just removing yourself from them and, and how bad they are. But you start saying, look at them and see how far they've come. That, that Yeah, they were a really worse person, but they've had so much growth. We, I think we become a lot more gracious and merciful when we see the perspective. We look behind or beneath external behavior of a difficult people and look at some pain that's going up. On the deep part, maybe, maybe it's just fleshing itself out as irritability. It's causing you maybe a little bit more difficult life of mercy with them, but you can be patient now that you know about it. I've learned that behind every peculiar, unkind behavior is some kind of pain. It might be loneliness, it might be fear, it might be loss, it might be depression, it might be anxiety. Who knows? It could be grief. There is hurt behind every hang-up, my friend. There's a twist in every person's story. And when we understand people and their stories, it helps us be a lot more merciful to them. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, 5-7. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Now, let me be honest. It's a whole lot easier to criticize than to sympathize, right? When somebody is being irritable or obnoxious or rude to you, it's a whole lot easier to point a finger at them than to lend them a helping hand. But merciful people are patient people. They're not quick to criticize. They're not quick to judge. They're not quick to expect the worst. No, in fact, they really realize that hurting people have a pain inside, and they are a hurt person. And I think when you begin to see this, you're a whole lot more sympathetic to those around you. Now, the fourth mark of a merciful person is this. Merciful people are kind to enemies. Kind to enemies. If you want to be like Jesus, then you must do good to those who do evil to you. Now, let me repeat this. If you want to be like Jesus, then the people around you who are plotting evil or wrong or hurt you, then you got to learn to do good to those people. This is not just forgiving the person who hurt you. It's actually doing something good to that person. Now that, my friends, is the exact opposite of what our culture says to do. It's the exact opposite of what our heart wants to do, right? I mean, our heart, our culture tells them when people hurt us, hurt them back. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Luke six thirty-five to 36 Now, who are you going to follow? The people around you, the culture? Or are you going to follow Jesus? Who are you going to model your life after? What you, what you want to do in your heart, what other people say is right, or what Jesus says is right. My friends, these are some of the most difficult words in the whole Bible to actually put into practice, right? The heart doesn't want to do this. When someone is attacking us, when someone is hurting us, to respond back with that love of Jesus, it's not natural. That's the point. It's supernatural. If Jesus lives in your life, he will give you the power to do what he tells you to do. He never asks you to do something he's not going to give you the power to do, Right? He's not going to expect you to do something you can't do. The best way to eliminate an enemy is to turn them into a friend. And the only way to do that is to treat people with kindness. I mean, after all, people are not going to expect this, right? They are going to expect us to return evil for evil. Now, my friends, finally, the fifth, the most important mark of a merciful person is this. Merciful people care for the lost. They care for the lost. Now, this is when we care for the spiritually lost people, people who are without Christ, people who don't have the hope of heaven, people who don't know that God made them for a purpose, that they are loved by God, that Christ came and died for them. Those who do not have a relationship with Jesus, we've got to care for the lost. My friends, if we don't care for the lost, then we have missed out on the very heartbeat of Jesus. Jesus came for the lost. Jesus didn't come so that we could just hang out together with each other in a church building. No, Jesus came so that we would go out and bring more people into his family. Friends, if you don't care for the lost then you're not a merciful person, and you're certainly not having the heart of Jesus. Sharing your faith, I know it can be difficult, but it's the most merciful thing you could ever do. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have to care about the things Jesus cares about. And more than anything else, Jesus cares about the lost people. He came into this world to bring lost people to himself. He gave up his very life to bring lost people to himself. If Jesus, think about it, if Jesus hadn't cared about the lost, he would have never gone to the cross. And you wouldn't be saved and I wouldn't be saved. The cross of Jesus is all about bringing the lost people home. Now, God's ultimate expression of mercy is found in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, and then verse 17. Look at this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, there's no greater mercy than that. God in his mercy gave us Jesus, and now our merciful God wants us to take the merciful Jesus to all the world around us. Mercy does all it can to help people from going to hell, right? Now, let me ask you a very pointed question. It might make you just a little uncomfortable. But what are you doing to keep people from going to hell? Seriously, actively, what are you doing? Going to church doesn't count. Singing songs, hearing messages, going to Bible studies, that doesn't count. What are you doing to keep people from going to hell? Is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Come on, friends. The greatest act of mercy that you could do to share with anybody is about Jesus Christ. For those who are lost, to find Jesus and come home. You can see from all of these marks, though, my friends, all five of them, this is actually the way God treats you and me. This is actually Jesus. It's the way he wants us now to live out the life of Jesus and treat others. I mean, think about it. God forgave us when we were fallen, and now he wants us to do the same. God helped us when we were hurting, and now he wants us to do the same. God was patient with us when we were difficult. Now he wants us to do the same. God was kind to us when we were his enemies, and now he wants us to do the same. God cared for us when we were lost, and now he wants us to do the same. Now, friends, I I would like to close by giving you uh, some motivations. Actually, three motivations for mercy. These are the three reasons why I believe you and I need to be merciful. Number one, we must be merciful because God is merciful. God is merciful. How many times has God shown you mercy? How many times has he forgiven you? How many times has he lifted you up when you fell down? If it wasn't for God's mercy, my friends, you wouldn't even be here today. You know, the Bible says it this way. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. Psalm one sixteen five. 5. Now, because God is merciful, he expects us to do to others what he has already done to us. Jesus said it very clearly, and you cannot get around this, my friends. Be merciful just as your father is merciful, Luke 6, 36. As God's children, we've been called not to do unto others as they did to us, right? Not to do unto others as we think they deserve, right? No, we are called to do unto others as our Heavenly Father has done unto us. And this week, before you judge somebody else for their sins and failures, stop and remember the many, many, many times that God has forgiven you. When it seems inconvenient to help somebody who's in need, stop and remember the many, many, many times that God has helped you. Even when you think about all those people who get on your nerves all the time, just stop and remember how patient God has been with you. When you feel like, you know, getting even with someone, just stop and remember how God forgave all of your sins. The Bible says it like this. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together whole and holy in his presence, Colossians one twenty one to 22. What greater act of mercy could that be? When someone hurts you this week, when someone is unkind to you this week, when someone tries your patience this week, remember that you have done far worse to God and he forgave you. He accepted you. He even gave you the greatest gift possible, and that is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. When someone is your enemy and you don't want to forgive them, then you are refusing to give them the gift that God gave you. You want to hurt them, right? That's the gift you want to give, pain. But when an enemy of God is really your life, when you're far from God, he didn't give you that gift of judgment. He gave you the gift—the best gift possible, the gift of salvation through Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross made it possible for you to be a friend of God second motivation for mercy is this. We must be merciful because we need mercy every day, my friends. We need mercy every day. I don't know about you, but I don't expect to be perfect from now on until the time I die. And if you think I'm better than you at all this, then just ask my wife and sons. They'll tell you the truth. I mean, we all struggle. I struggle just like you on every one of these points. But here's my motivation to keep going on and being a merciful person. This is what the scripture tells us. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. James 2.13 Again, friends, I don't know about you, but I want God to be merciful to me, right? When God looks at my life, I want him to judge me with compassion and mercy, right? Right? Well, what if someone does something to you, right? Well, the truth is, it's going to happen. I mean, we're going to, we're going to do the wrong thing. But when we lean and step into that and do the right thing, um, then we're like Jesus. Otherwise, we're just a hypocrite. The world doesn't need more hypocrites. I think this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible because it says that you and I will be judged in the same manner as we judge others. Only those who give mercy will get mercy. Jesus also said it this way. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy, Matthew 5, 7. Now, I want God to bless me with mercy, but that means I have to bless others with mercy. Mercy is a two-way street. When you refuse to show mercy to others, you're burning the very bridge you've been given to walk across to receive God's mercy yourself. Now, finally, the third motivation for being a merciful person is this. You and I... We must be merciful because mercy brings us true joy. When you and I are merciful, we experience the true joy of Jesus. I know this is going to sound a little strange, maybe a little corny, uh, but I'm going to just make a promise. And here it is. If you go through this series, The Heart of Mercy, all seven weeks, if you join a small group, if you act out the mercy that we talk about, then you're going to be a much happier person when you're finished. I can promise you that. You know how I can make such a promise? Well, first of all, I know it's true because I've experienced it. But secondly, more importantly, God says it's true. The Bible says, happy are the merciful blessed are the merciful. The word blessed, it just means the idea of being happy, to be filled with joy. Each of Jesus' beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are humble, and on and on, you know those. Each time Jesus said the word blessed, he was saying the word happy or the word joyful, overflowing with joy. Those words are the same. To be blessed is to be happy, to be joyful. I've never been a merciful person that wasn't a truly happy person. They may have had the same trials and temptations and struggles that you and I face, but they possessed an inner joy and inner happiness that carried them through the difficult times. Now, not only does mercy make you happy, I think the opposite is also true. When you and I are unmerciful, it makes us miserable. I think the most miserable people I've ever met are those who are the exact opposite of these five marks of mercy that we've seen today. The very life of Jesus fleshed out. People who are unhappy with their lives, they really have a hard time showing mercy. But I think they miss out on the reality that their lack of mercy actually is the very thing that makes them unhappy. Let me say it this way. Being unmerciful really makes you miserable. Look at how uh, the Proverbs talks about this. Your own soul is nourished when you are kind. It is destroyed when you are cruel. Proverbs eleven seventeen. 17. <laughs> I love that. Doing acts of mercy gets me out of myself. It gets my focus off of me and gets my focus on other people. Now that, my friends, produces true happiness. Not the happiness the world gives us, but true happiness that comes from God. A joy that only comes when we begin to live like Jesus. So how can you become a more merciful person? Well, let me tell you this. If you show up the next six weekends, all seven of these weekends, begin to put into practice what you'll learn, I'm not kidding you, in these weeks to come, you're going to see how we can make mercy a part of our daily lives. My friends, the starting point of mercy is when you first experience the mercy of God. One of the reasons why you may have a hard time forgiving other people is because you don't really feel forgiven. Think of it. If you don't feel forgiven, then you don't want anyone else to feel forgiven either, right? I mean, think about it. If you don't feel good about yourself, then you're not going to feel good about others, right? But on the other hand, when you truly receive the love of God and when you are so overwhelmed with God's mercy, when that love of God in you is really burning bright, that makes you want to extend it to other people. The mercy of God in me causes me to be merciful to others, right? The mercy of God in you causes the mercy of God to flesh itself out to others. The grace of God in us Causes us to be gracious to others, right? I want to close our first message together with a prayer. Uh, Maybe you've been absent from church your entire life. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you're a religious person. Maybe you're at Sunrise every weekend. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. None of that really matters. What I want to do now is to invite you to become a merciful person. And if you've never received the mercy of Jesus, that's the first step for you. The rest of us followers of Jesus, we need to put this into practice. But you can't put it into practice unless you've received the mercy of Jesus. And you could be an atheist, agnostic, I don't care. You could be a Buddhist, a Baptist. You could be a Mormon, a Muslim. I don't really care. You could be a Catholic, a Protestant. You could be Jewish, Hindu, anything else. I don't really care what it is. fact is, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the God of mercy. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. i ask you to do that because I want you to focus on Jesus and not on the people around you, your surroundings. If you've never receive the forgiveness of God for your sins, then this prayer is for you. Let me ask you, though, before we begin. Go ahead and close your eyes. Go ahead and bow your your head down. Kind of isolate yourself from everything else. Friends, have you ever experienced true mercy? Maybe you can think back to a time when you received the mercy. You received judgment, maybe. Maybe you received mercy instead. You deserve judgment. Somebody extend your mercy. I know I have. When I was a foolish freshman in college, I deserved judgment. I received mercy instead. That changed my life. The Bible tells us that God loves you and cares enough about you to offer you complete forgiveness for your sins. Every wrong that you've ever done, every careless word, every unkind action, every impure thought, all of those could be completely wiped clean and you can receive peace with God. Jesus cared enough for you to show mercy to you, to actually die for you so that your sins could be forgiven. The fact is, someone has to pay for all the wrong you've done. Someone has to pay. It's like you sat at the restaurant of sin your entire life and ordered everything on the menu. At the end of your life, when it's time to get up, the bill has to be paid. My friends, you cannot skip out on this debt. But i got to tell you, the amazing thing is this, friends. When Jesus died on the cross... He made the largest deposit the world has ever seen on the house account. And now he's willing to cover your check, to cover your debt in full. Jesus is willing to pay your bill for you. He's willing to wipe your slate clean and give you a brand new life. He wants to remove your guilt and give you a fresh start. Now, how do you receive it? Well, I'm going to offer up a very simple prayer. And if you've never received the mercy of God, never received the forgiveness of God, I want you to follow me in this simple prayer of confession and surrender to God. With these words ringing in your heart, would you echo them with me? Dear God, I want to experience your mercy. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I can't go to a perfect place called heaven because I'm imperfect. I've sinned. But today I'm asking for your mercy. Would you forgive everything I've ever done wrong? Today, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Right now, I choose to submit to him as the ruler of my life. I choose to turn from my old life and receive total forgiveness of my sins. As your eyes are still closed and your heads are still bowed, if you prayed to receive Jesus today, would you do me a favor? Would you take a second to raise your hand? Now, it's not for me. After all, I'm on a video. It's, it's for you. It's for the other pastors in the room, the other small group leaders. We want to pray for you. We want to help you in your new walk with Jesus. Go ahead and raise your hand. Everybody's still got their eyes closed, but we want those leaders to know you prayed that prayer. For everyone else in that room, would you make a commitment to become a merciful person? Perhaps your first step is to forgive a person who sinned against you. Or maybe it's to think of the difficult people in your life in the same way that Jesus thought of the people who crucified him. Again, he cried out on the cross, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if Jesus could do that, then you and I can forgive the people who've hurt us. Let me finish with this final prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, the world around us needs your mercy. You've chosen us to extend your mercy through your children. Those of us in this room are the ministers of the mercy that this world needs. Our hands of mercy could very well be your hands of mercy to a hurting world. Father, cause us to see the hurting and broken around us and respond in the same way Jesus did when he was on the earth. Oh, he loved the least, the last, and the lost. He drew close to them. He invited them to his table. He ate with them. He drank with them. He laughed with them. He cried with them. He loved them so much that he gave up his life for them. Father, give us a glimpse of how to do these very things this week to those around us. Father, change us to be more like Jesus so this world can see Jesus in us and through us. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus we follow. Amen. Amen. Now. As worship teams come and as we prepare to go on, I just want to close with these thoughts here finally. You know, when you came in today, you were handed one of our commitment cards, a heart of mercy commitment card. This little square card I want you to pull out right now. Now, let me remind you of what we're asking everyone to do at every Sunrise Church campus. Every one of our campuses is doing this very same thing. We're all making commitment for three things. We're going to make a commitment to the heart of mercy, the heart of mercy that our world needs today. But here's how we do this. We personally commit in the coming weeks. Number one, we commit to attend all of the heart of mercy weekends. Now you've already done one, so there's only six weeks left. If you have to miss a weekend, please watch the message online as soon as you're able to. So commit to attend all seven weekends. Number two, commit to participate in the heart of mercy curriculum. in one of the following ways in a small group with your family Or with some friends. If you need to join a group, you can do so after this worship gathering or go online to find a small group in your area. Just talk to one of the ushers, talk to one of the pastors. Somebody on the worship team will get you connected to a group. And three, finally, commit to serve someone in need with your small group, your family or your friends. If you're not even sure about what it means to serve others, you can go online to find a list of ways to serve. Friends, I cannot wait to see how God is going to work in you and in our church and in our community through this series. I cannot wait to see how God is going to use us to become ministers of mercy to our world. May God bless you as you step out this week to be the hands and the feet of our merciful Jesus. I love you.